We're talking to Daniel Estelin. He's a former intelligence officer, former TV host, best-selling author. We're talking 7 million copies plus. He's also a filmmaker. He recently came out with a hard-hitting documentary on the Bilderberg Group. And he's an award-winning journalist, speaker, and consultant. His latest book is In the Shadows of a Presidency, which covers Project Trump, as he calls it. And we'll be talking about U.S. regime change operations currently underway in Venezuela. Uh, We'll be talking about President Trump, what the empire and global elites are thinking. Uh, It's great to talk to you again, Daniel. It's wonderful to be on your podcast. We've done this before in Mexico a few years back. It was hugely successful, and I'm uh, very much looking forward to this interview. Yeah, you know, we we first met in 2016. You had, uh, right before that, been in Venezuela visiting, uh, and you were en route to Mexico City to pick up the Best International Journalist Award from the Press Club of Mexico. I was teaching at the MIT of Mexico, the Monterey Institute of Technology, and my students and I uh, ended up organizing the conference for you there. Uh, And so let's start with uh, your trip to Venezuela back then uh, in 2015, 2016, so you went there to to consult, uh, to speak, uh, and to work with the universities there. And, and can you tell us, you know, how you saw Venezuela back then? And, and you kind of, I guess, foreshadowed what, what's happening now. I'm sure that's what you were talking about three years ago. So can you tell us about that trip back then, how you saw Venezuela, and what's happening now in Venezuela? Well, you know, for those who don't know me, I've, uh, I've spent 24 years in military counterintelligence um, of the Russian Federation. Um, I'm a doctor of conceptual intelligence. What, what we do is we create models that define the and explain the future of humanity, at least a generation ahead. Um, I work uh, as a consultant for foreign governments, presidents of different countries, and I also create programs for Joint Chiefs of Staff of, of three nations. It doesn't matter who they are, but uh, um, Venezuela, I've worked with them quite, quite a bit since 2010 when... Uh, after my visit to Cuba <clears throat> with Fidel Castro, who um, had read my book on the Bilderberg Group, my first book, The True Story of the Bilderberg Group, and he fell in love with that book and he was fascinated by this you know, topic of, of, of secret societies and private organizations and supernatural think tanks and all the stuff you know, they call conspiracy theories, which really are not conspiracy theories because, again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a colonel of Russian military counterintelligence, uh, 24 years of service, and a doctor of conceptual intelligence. But again, it's the kind of stuff that the the mainstream media and 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 the government, you know, by giving the the uh, uh, the label of conspiracy theories, it's you know, keep away from that. Don't talk about that. You don't want to go there. It basically that's where real stuff actually happens. So Castro had read my book, and you know, he invited me to. Uh, uh, to Havana in Cuba. Um, my Spanish is fluent because I was stationed in Spain for many, many years. And uh, uh, we had a wonderful time together. That was in August, uh, last week of August uh, 2010. And uh, um, he was impressed enough to call uh, Hugo Chavez um, and said, you know, Hugo uh, actually said, Chavez, you have to meet this guy. And so we had arranged a meeting. That was in October 2010, two months later. Unfortunately, we never met because the day before a meeting, Chavez had to go because of Nestor Kirchner's, he died in Argentina. And uh, and so we never met. But uh, I've been working um, on and off with Venezuela for the past eight years. And for the past, I'd say, four and a half years, I've worked quite a bit with them. Um prepared a lot of the programs for the Joint Chiefs of Staff, training programs, that is, not military programs, 
um, especially working on the technological aspects of of uh, media propaganda, of how it works. You know, the the color revolutions. We explain to them um, different technological advancements, how that applied to to today's uh, uh, geopolitical strategic thinking, and uh, so I know them inside out. I know the country well. I speak the language fluently, and. Uh, I mean, what's happening right now in Venezuela, it was, it was easily foreseeable because, again, this is a country that has enormous natural uh, resources, uh, riches beyond, you know, your wildest imaginations. Out of the 17, you know, top minerals, they have 15. They have world's largest untapped um, oil resources, gold, silver, um, diamonds, uh, coltan. You know, if you look at the Mendeleev's table, you know, anything that's out there they have it you know it's, it's heaven on earth really unfortunately it's in the hands of people who don't really know how to run the government and it's not a criticism of of uh, left-wing politics because again i'm i'm uh, from the soviet union and i'm and, and i'm obviously a socialist but uh um again what we're seeing right now are the consequences of of not only them not knowing what to do but uh, this global meltdown we're seeing right now, which basically is a meltdown of, of economic realities, and and the fact that uh, Venezuela is such a key element of, of um, a world geopolitics from the point of view of natural resources makes them very very attractive. Needless to say, to the um, the interests of the global elite. In that sense, I don't necessarily mean the United States because it's important to uh, uh, to separate. Uh, fact from fiction. I mean, people are talking about uh, American, uh, you know, imperialist ambitions, American empire. But the United States today, and and you know, you, I, I'm sure you'll agree, is not a, a homogenous country. It's 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 a country at war with itself. It's a country divided between those who are for Trump and those who are you know against Trump. Those who absolutely despise anything that reeks of Trump, whether it's a you know MAGA hat or you know. Trump supporters eating in restaurants or, you know, it's, it's the insanity we're seeing today could easily be compared to the last stages of, of the Roman Empire before it collapsed. And, and unfortunately, it's just a matter of short time before the entire world economic system comes crashing down. And that obviously applies also to the United States. And again, Venezuela just happened to be in uh, uh, that element uh, in, in, in today's geopolitics where one, natural resources, two, you know, very important geographically because, again, it's in the basin of, of the Caribbean. Um, it uh, has the shortest drug route to the United States. But that I'm not saying that, you know, Venezuela sells drugs, as the Americans are saying, but rather because drugs is a lubricant of the world economy, which moves annually $950 billion in cash almost a trillion dollars in cash. The shorter the route, the, the more money you make. And, you know, the, the tried and true route of Colombia, Central America, Mexico, United States, it's too long. You have to pay a lot of people on the way. You know, logistically speaking, it's very difficult. And today more so than ever, especially with Trump putting, you know, wanting to put the wall there, which is one of the reasons he's doing that. And uh, a much shorter and safer route for the global elite is uh, Venezuela to uh, island of of, uh, of Hispaniola, which is uh, Haiti and Dominican Republic, and from there to to east coast of the United States, especially New York, where the Dominican gangs basically rule uh, the, the the city, and which again makes it much easier to distribute drugs nationally. But again, 
you know, what we see, the noise we see in the mainstream press and the geopolitical realities have very little in common, as, as I'm sure you know. And you mentioned Colombia about two weeks ago. I was, I was interviewed on Sputnik Radio uh, the first night of the Venezuela coup to talk about Colombia. Uh, and I was explaining how they had these ELN attacks, uh, this ELN attack in January. And from my research, I saw that there was a reported assassination attempt on the Colombian president, Duque. Uh, and they were saying it was coming out of Venezuela. They were saying the ELN attack was coming out of Venezuela. So, you know, I was basically saying that there's this new Monroe Doctrine in Latin America and that Brazil and Colombia are both, um, you know, U.S. In, in the U.S. NATO pockets, I guess. And something you've talked about previously is that this, econ this global economic system model is, is collapsing. It's spent uh, the Bretton Woods U.S. dollar-backed system. And that one of the next logical steps are the creation of these regional unions. And I found it also interesting that I think at the same time all of this is happening, the Colombian president announced a new model for South American regional integration to replace to replace UNASUR, and he calls it PROSUR. So is this part of, uh, is this all kind of linked together? Well, it's, it's, uh, there are several questions there in one. Uh, well, first of all, the, the global economy, again, the backdrop to what we're seeing globally, whether it's in the United States, whether it's in Canada, in Europe, in Latin America, in South America, in Middle East, in Africa, in Southeast Asia, Russia, China, it doesn't matter where, any part of the planet, anywhere you touch, any neurological point, you're seeing the same thing globally. It's the collapse of the world economy. It's Again, it's on the brink of collapse. The size of economic problem is of such magnitude that it simply can't be resolved through government intervention. It doesn't matter what you do. The entire Western financial system is facing this catastrophic collapse of, of about four quadrillion dollars, which is, you know, four and 15 zeros, in case people are wondering what that number is. You know, derivative bubbles along with credit default swaps and all kinds of other, you know, crazy um, exotic instruments. The global total debt is, uh, when I was writing the book about a year and a half ago, it was like $217 trillion. Uh, today, I think it's like 235 or $240 trillion. The global debt levels are about 325% of the world's gross domestic products. You have $10 trillion of global debt, meaning bonds, securities, derivatives, which are negotiating and traded at negative interest rates. The U.S. debt is $21 trillion, approaching 22. European banks are leveraged about 30 to 1. So, in other words, even the slightest change in interest rates would lead to global economic collapse. I'm not going to even go into what's happening in Europe, which is, you know, Italy is a basket case. France, you're seeing all the stuff happening with the Yellow Jackets. You know, England with Brexit. Germany, on, 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 you know, in, 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 uh, in recession. Uh, uh, the Middle East uh, uh, about to go to, you know, global thermonuclear war. And, you know, so what's, what's coming out of Colombia you know, with Duque coming up with, you know, some kind of a new uh, uh, union. It's, it's silly because, again, the problem we have today is that the Bretton Woods economic model based on infinite growth on a finite planet is dead. You, you, you can't expand uh, infinitely. It's, it's simply not feasible. So the model that has worked on, on printing a lot of money to, you know, support the, uh, uh, to stimulate the, the economy is now dead. Okay, you have three important dates in the 20th century from economic point of view. In 1913, the creation of the Federal Reserve. You had 1944, the Bretton Woods, uh, which made the American dollar the world's reserve currency and expanded America's influence globally. And then all these institutions, World Trade Organization, uh, World Bank, uh, 
uh, international monetary fund, you know, people saying that Bretton Woods is dead, it, you know, died in 1971. It hasn't died because these institutions, with the, which are the institutions of the Bretton Woods system, they're alive and well, which means the system is alive and well. Although it's not well, it's it's alive, but it's not well. And then 1981, which was Reaganomics, again, this whole thing about, you know, a vast, massive expansion of, of, of the middle class based on debt. Of course, if people's salaries didn't go up. But, you know, the level of comfort went up. So, in, you know, you, you, the, how much money actually made went down. But you have suddenly had everybody had a television set. Now everybody has a smartphone. Everybody has, a, you know, an iPad. There's two, three cars in the house, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that comes at a price, at a price of having to pay that debt off. And because today there's no more expansion because no matter how much money you print, it simply has zero effect on the economy because there's just so much money out there. I don't know if you realize, but for example, one very interesting number between 1981 and today, uh, if you take out of the equation all the money that the United States government printed, the actual growth in the last almost 40 years has been zero percent. And that's the problem globally and the problem for for people like Duque or for anyone out there, because, again, when we're talking about global system. In the United States, people are talking about the Republicans against the Democrats, Trump against Clinton. It's not Republicans against the Democrats because every party out there globally, mainstream parties, they're all form part of the liberal banking financier order. What does that mean? If democracy is the rule by the Democrats, uh, uh, liberalism is the rule by the bankers. So what you're seeing globally, and that's why the Bushes, for example, voted for Clinton in the last elections. And so what you see globally in the United States, in Canada, in Europe, every country in Europe, et cetera, in Latin America, they're all part, all of the parties, the entire global Western system is part of the liberal banking financier order, which is based on the concept of infinite growth, which doesn't exist. And so Trump, who is not the United States, it's very important to understand that people saying Trump, American imperialism, United States, there are three completely different things. Donald Trump became possible as a result of the collapse of the global system. Okay, and that's why Trump fights against Prime Minister of Canada Trudeau. Uh, that's why he, you know he was uh, fighting against Peña Nieto, the last president of, of, of Mexico. That, that's why he's up in arms against you know Theresa May in London and and and, Mer and, and what's her name and, and Merkel in Germany and and uh, Macron in France. Uh, you know that's why he you know goes into a meeting with the Secretary General of NATO and gives him a dressing down you know before he had his first coffee and a cookie. And that's why he goes into the you know the infamous or the famous legendary. G7 meeting, you know, and, and, and does what he did to all of the G7 members because all of the entire structure, be it the World Bank, be it the International Monetary Fund, be it the World Trade Organization, they're NATO alliance, G7, they're all Trump's enemies. Because those who say Trump equals the United States equals global imperialism are totally wrong. They don't understand that Donald Trump is not the United States. Trump is the alternative project of an alternative part of global elite because the United States today is run but still run by the liberal banking financiers. The people behind Hillary Clinton and the Bushes are the same. They are uh, 
Silicon Valley, Hollywood, the intelligence agencies, Rockefeller, George Soros, Wall Street, uh, Wall Street itself, the bureaucracy of Washington, uh, you know, the financial elites, the you know, World Trade Organization, etc. These are the people behind Clinton and the Bushes and Trudeau and Merkel and and, and May and and Macron. They're the same people. And behind Donald Trump, you have the Vatican. You have the European oligarchy, meaning European aristocracy, in other words. You have the, the European royal families. Uh, so the, the, that project has a different name. It's called Black International. And Black International is uh, uh, land, blood, and, and soil. Okay? Blood is red, soil is black. And if you look uh, globally, at, you know, at organizations that have these colors, you know, national socialism is red and black. That's what black international is. The Jesuits are red and black. Okay. So these are the powers behind the presidency of Donald Trump. And they're the same people behind, you know, the attempted coup d'etat in Venezuela behind uh, Juan Guaido, because he is, you know, he came out of the Jesuit schools. So the Jesuits were, you know, also behind Cuba Project and Fidel Castro. They're now doing the same thing in Venezuela. So if you look at it globally, it's not the fight between countries on a national level because, you know, if, if countries, let's call it Global 1.0, that's a period between 1648 Westphalia until the, the end of the 1960s and 20th century. When so you had countries, constitutions, borders, currencies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then you had Global 2.0, which is end of 1960s when the Bilderbergers at their meeting in Montreblanc on the outskirts of Montreal in Canada, they decided to create this new concept, One World Company Limited. In other words, corporations that have a lot more power than any government on the planet. And that's when this whole thing was, you know, global corporations was created. Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan's, et cetera, et cetera. That in a lot of instances are more powerful than most governments. And now we're in global 3.0, post-industrial world of networking, where what's now is, is, is being sold and, and bartered is not energy, but energy of knowledge, which is a different kind of energy. And so what you're seeing globally is the realignment of interests, also realignment of ideas, and the creation of a completely different world, a world not based on the idea of nation states, but rather regionalization of global economies. Because again, Duque, the problem with Duque in, in, in Colombia is he and Trump are on two different teams. And that's what people don't understand because they still think, you know, as a geopolitical initiative. Geo is geography. Okay. So when you're talking about duality, okay, so it's with us or with the enemy, you know, with the capitalists or with the communists. But it's not like that because Duque is a product of international monetary fund. And Donald Trump is the enemy of the International Monetary Fund. So for Duque, there's a big problem right now. He has to coexist with the guy who hates him. And the guy who hates him, his name is Donald Trump. But Trump needs him right now because they want to replace, you know, the, the Maduro presidency or government in, in Venezuela and replace it with their stooges. So Duque has a problem because if he, you know, uh, continues, it's like, you know, sitting on two different stools. 
So if he sits, you know, with the International Monetary Fund, then he goes directly against the wishes of Donald Trump. If he goes with Donald Trump or he sides with Donald Trump against International Monetary Fund, against World Bank, against World Trade Organization, then World Trade Organization, International Monetary Fund and World Bank, they simply destroy Colombia because Colombia is up to her eyeballs in debt with these organizations. And this is globally. This isn't just in Colombia. So these... Um, differences go far beyond what we're used to traditionally speaking okay and so again uh, when you start looking just to summarize everything i said because it's very different what you hear about in the media the war today is not between countries but between global projects that means that countries no longer play a role global projects means that you have different groups of people conceptually speaking, who are vying for control of yet-to-be-defined global economic model. Because the model we've had up today doesn't work anymore. It's based on continuous growth on a planet that simply is running out of space. And what you're seeing with Apple, for example, you know, what, uh, you know their profit warning and another profit warning, and two weeks later, another... I mean, uh, it, it, Mr. Cook has to understand that the problem that they have is that everybody has an Apple smartphone and an Apple and a computer. You can only you can only have so many computers and Apple smartphones per person. And because we've reached a limit to that, the only thing we have is going down. And there are ways out of the crisis. And one way is global thermonuclear war, which is why the Middle East for the global elites is a wonderful place. You have the Jews on the one end and oil and Arabs on the other. Okay, because what wars do is they write out debts and responsibilities. And yes, we're probably going to, you know, they're probably going to kill four billion people. But as Mao Zedong said back in 1950 or 1951, if they do that, we still have a billion people left. Now it's a billion and a half and they will survive. And the Russians will survive, not because we're a big country population wise, but we're a big country landmass wise. Okay, and that's why what you're seeing right now is the energy moving from the Western Hemisphere from the Atlanticism, you know, to the uh, to the Pacific region, and all the stuff happening right now globally is the realignment from the West to the East. And Venezuela again, in, in uh, as a context itself, I'm hearing a lot of stuff that the Chinese are going to come in and help, and the Russians, Russians are not going to come in and help. I can tell you that because I, you know, I've been again for 24 years working in in, in the intelligence with, with Russia. We are not the Soviet Union. We can't do what the Soviet Union did. Our territorial expansion maximum is about 500 kilometers beyond our, our, our borders. The Chinese are not interested in helping Venezuela. What you're seeing right now, all the stuff about trade war, it's all utter nonsense. Okay, it's it's a typical you know a, a cover story on the intelligence level. What they're doing is they're exchanging areas of influence. The Chinese are giving them, as you said, the Monroe Doctrine. Okay, the Chinese are handing the United States Venezuela, and the Americans are giving the Chinese access to the two Koreas. Okay, the two Koreas are going to merge, and they're going to come under the influence of of uh, of China. And in fact, we're seeing that right now because there's a new union being created. It's called Northeastern Economic Alliance. That's Russia, China, Japan, uh, Mongolia, and the two Koreas. Okay, and so again, that makes sense. And, and and again, North Korea has the military might. South Korea has the technological advantage, and they're going to merge together. And if there is a conflict, needless to say, the North Koreans will destroy the South 
because South Korea's liberalism at its finest, meaning, you know, uh, uh, lots of food, lots of, you know, bodily comfort, but very little fight. And North Koreans, they, they, they have a common goal of their nation and, and they're willing to die for it. So again, this is what you're seeing globally. And, and what's happening in Venezuela, what we're seeing in Colombia, what we're seeing in, in, you know, in the Middle East, all of these you know, realignments are playing a part in this new, um, let's say, realignment of, of global economies, uh, working towards the creation of a new economic model, which again is yet to be born because you know, to come up with a new Yalta agreement, a new Breadwoods, it takes a long time to iron it out. And we don't have that time. And so you're seeing, you know, the, the, this whole thing working in spurts, trying to define itself somehow. And basically we're seeing just how hard of a time, you know, everybody's having globally to come to some kind of an understanding. One question I had. So you're you're saying that these liberal, this one faction of the liberal financier elite, you know, the Clintons, the Bushes, the Soroses, the the Rockefellers, um, you know, they're the war hawks, right? You know, if Clinton uh, would have come in, they would have accelerated aggression towards towards Russia and perhaps gone to war, as you say. And so Trump is this other faction, which you know, backed by industrialists, uh, as you said. Uh, including like black international and, and these guys and so you're saying logically it would make sense for people to get behind trump but uh i mean we're talking about another group of of global elites so it's you know it's become like the enemy of my enemy is is, is now my friend so it has always it has always been like that the thing is uh, with clinton it would have been much easier because we would have gone to global nuclear war immediately clinton has some serious psychological problems you know unresolved childhood issues you know her her perpetual need to show off her masculinity and that would have meant going to nuclear war to show that she's macho uh, which would have probably meant what I said before. Uh, the, the whole thing with Trump, now, I, if, if you have to choose between one and the other, you choose Trump, not because Trump is good and she's bad. I mean, good, bad are the things, you know, you, I would use to talk to my 10-year-old son, but you know, not to an adult or to an adult audience. What we're seeing with Trump, Trump trying to destroy the old liberal order may give us a chance to actually create a new economic model because, again, uh, we haven't had an alternative for the past three generations since 1944. The entire edifice of global economy, and not only talking about the United States, not Canada or Europe, you know, it's, it's, it's the ratings agencies, it's the banking institutions, it's the think tanks, it's the foundations, it's the secret uh, uh, private organizations such as the Bilderbergers, the Trilateral Commission, Council on Foreign Relations, you know, American Enterprise Institute, the RAND and Hudson and Houston, you know, and Hoover Institutes and all these uh, RAND and all the think tanks, etc. Globally, they're all part of the liberal financial order, which is why until the Trump's presidency, it was very difficult globally to move any of these. Like, for example, I'll give you an example in Russia. Uh, the Russia's economic policy is actually run out of International Monetary Fund in Washington. Uh, I don't know if you know that. Most people don't. They think Russia is an independent country. We're not. Again, we're not the Soviet Union. And so, uh, you know, an example, the, the person who is Russia's director of Russia's central bank would be an equivalent position to the chairman of, of the Federal Reserve, Nabiulina. She works directly for International Monetary Fund. You know, everything she does is destroying Russia's economy, which is in, in you know, a, a downward spiral at a rate of about 2.5% per year since the last quarter of 2012. So looking at about 15% in the last um, 
five years or so and or six years uh, not to mention you know there's another 15 20 percent inflation so that you know you have 30 percent of, of of russian children who are uh, uh not getting enough you know daily vitamins and, and, and food starving to death basically that's the situation in russia and up until trump's election putin had was powerless to move any of the people in the economic ministry who have been there since the, the time of, of Bill Clinton. Had he moved the president of, of Russia's central bank uh, international and put somebody like Glazif in, in, in her place, who is a patriot, International Monetary Fund, World Bank uh, ratings agencies immediately would have you know, filed a report saying the new you know, chairman of Russia's central bank is an incompetent boob, which immediately would have meant the Russia's, you know, uh, credit rating would have been downgraded to junk. And because private corporations cannot have a higher credit rating than in the sovereign nation, every Russian company from you know uh, Rosneft to, to Roscosmos to anything out there immediately would have been downgraded to junk, which means that Russia would have been you know wiped out in, in a matter of hours. And so only with Trump becoming president, you know, uh, since 2016, uh, we're seeing a chance to actually dislodge the liberal banking order uh, and, and from, from, from its position of power. Is it working? Well, you're seeing it globally. The fight is to the death. Well, there's before you had enough for all these supranational groups to sit down at this proverbial table and, and to iron out you know, their differences and, and divvy up the world between them. There's not enough today. Only like in the film The Highlander, only one can survive. And that's why we're seeing the fight to the death. And Venezuela is an example of it. The United States is another example. I mean, there's no better example than the United States. And people are saying the United States is, a, is an empire, it's a homogenous country. If it is, explain to me Clinton against Trump. Explain to me Republicans against the Democrats. Explain to me, you know, Antifa against the police. Explain to me, you know, the millennials and all that other stuff you're seeing daily where hordes of these crazy zombies are chasing, you know, people in MAGA hats all over the country. You know what I mean? You can't because there's a civil war in the United States because the system is broken. Okay, now we're going to see who actually, you know, gets the upper hand. The liberals are going to lose. Because their main power instrument was, you know, the printing press, okay? But because that no longer works because it doesn't matter how much money you print. It has zero effect on, on the economy because you can't make the economy work by printing money. That money has to be invented in the real sector. But the real sector is not giving anything because we're in a crisis, you know, and the collapse is coming. Which means it's probably going to be a lot worse than what we saw in 2008 and similar to what we actually saw in the Great Depression. Because in 2008, it might have been fixed globally if everyone worked together. But instead of fixing it, uh, you made it worse. And today's, uh, uh, the entire model is, 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 is now 70% more in debt than it was in 2008. And we no longer have any of the economic and financial instruments that were available back in 2008 to try to fix this. So, you know, it, it doesn't matter where you're looking at it. Whether we're talking about you know the 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 uh, sovereign debt crisis, you know the uh, 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 the uh, housing collapse, you know I, I think the next crisis is not likely to be another Lima, but another Japan, basically a widespread zombification of global economies to avoid the pain of a large you know repricing of sovereign debts, which leads to massive tight tax hikes to pay the rising interest economic recession and unemployment and, and you know and 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 also if, if you add to it the fact that you know the artificial intelligence and the robotics is such a big part of six technological development uh 
okay, fourth industrial revolution, sixth technological development, which is and big nano by infocognol. What I talked about in in my book, um, um, uh, trans evolution, the coming age of human deconstruction, which in the United States was was nominated for Pulitzer Prize, and I explained how that's going to play such a big part, short term in, in in the United States alone because of the um, advancement in, in robotics and artificial intelligence in the last in the next decade, Americans thirty two million Americans are going to be out of uh, out of a job. You already have a hundred million Americans, a working age Americans who are not working. For all this talk about three point five percent unemployment, whatever the numbers are, it's I mean I, I don't know if they just pull that out of a number out of a hat. You just Google hundred million Americans who are not working, fifty million Americans who survive thanks to you know food coupons. California destroyed, wiped out because of this, you know, insane policies that you're seeing. How many uh, major cities in the United States are totally bankrupt? You know, you want to talk about zombie, World War Three zombie, look at Detroit, look at Baltimore, look at Chicago, look at Philadelphia, look at Los Angeles, look at San Francisco, you know, look at any number of cities in, you know, in the Midwest and Southeast and, and Florida, et cetera, et cetera. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and so all of that is, is playing such a key driving role in the need of the global elite behind Trump to get their grubby hands on Venezuela. Because again, although it's not going to make a difference, it's going to make a small six-month difference because getting their hands on Venezuela's natural resources. You know, it's going to uh, extend their lifeline, be it six months or a year. It's irrelevant because the end, we know how this thing ends. We know it's easy to see, just extrapolate what we have another couple of years. Okay, it's going to end very, very badly. And unfortunately, the people who run are a global financial institutions, as Nigel Farage said in, you know, back in, in, in his speech in, in the European Union, I can't remember when he said, all of you are in denial, and they are in denial, because it's unbelievable how stupid these people are. And... You know, there are people have, that have put out books such as Graham Allison recently about the Thucydides trap, uh, and he's looked at this historical cycle. So there's this clear historical cycle, and and when empires rise and fall, and as you say, there are different factions, different uh, empires, um, and he says that 12 out of the 16 times of these transitions, uh, there there were these global wars. And as you say, one option that I guess is still on the table is. Uh, a, a greater world war, but let's say that doesn't happen. What do you foresee uh, beyond that? Um, you know, just the restructuring. Of course, we'll probably have this you know huge economic crisis and collapse, and you say civil war type scenario in, in the U.S. But if there isn't uh, this global war, what will come afterwards? Well, there are different. There are different options. One is, again, world war. The second option is uh, the United States goes to a sixth technological advancement, which is NBIC, not a buy in Focogno. Okay, and that changes their picture greatly. Okay, and so uh, the separation of, 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 of areas of influence, the, you know, the United States, Trump shuts the door, you know, to their castle and, you know, MAGA becomes a reality where the United States said, you know, everything here is for us and everyone else keeps out. And the Chinese do the same in China, which is, again, what we're seeing right now, you know, the, the realignment going from the West to the East. 
Well, this isn't the first time. If you kind of look historically, you know, going back to the, you know, to the Venetian Empire, you know, Venice went to England. Then the Venetians from England, after they, you know, made England their home, uh, they went to the United States because, again, you know, the United States. If you look at the creation of the Federal Reserve, if you look at the creation of Wall Street, all of this was done by, you know, by by the Venetians in the end. And now we're seeing the last stage, you know, the the passage from from. The Pacific area of influence to uh, the Atlantic, sorry, to the Pacific area of influence. That's that's another solution, and that's what we're seeing right now with uh, with uh, you know one belt one road initiative, Chinese initiative. Which again, I'm having my doubts that this thing will work because the whole thing of of, of China's one belt one road was territorial expansion based on a stratagem which was put together by Deng Xiaoping back in 1986 uh, called Stratagem 863, which was a covert expansion, territorial expansion, you know, uh, towards the exterior of China's national interests. Uh, but the whole thing of One Belt, One Road was based on the principle that if you make something in China, somebody on the other end is going to buy it. Unfortunately, today, that somebody is no longer there, and we're seeing it right now. And one of the things I'm having my doubts, without getting too much into it, because it's beyond the scope of the interview, is that, you know, the, the whole One Belt, One Road initiative was the, Rock, the Rothschilds and China working together. Because again, I said before that countries no longer exist. Uh, you're looking at global projects, and there are six global projects out there. One is, uh, we can call it New Babylon, but it's really Wall Street financiers. The other one is London. Okay, that's London, Hasidic Jews, the Rothschilds, British royal family. Okay, the Kabbalists, that's another project. Then you have, you know, Great Europe, the Vatican and the Black International. You have, you know, uh, Great Eurasia, with Moscow as its capital, but that's not Putin, okay? That's a different project. Then you have China, Red Caliphate, that's based in Turkey. So these are uh, uh, the, the, the six different projects. But the problem today is, for example, Hong Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation, they were going to put their headquarters in Hong Kong. That was canceled now, okay? Because I think the Rothschilds, because Hong Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation, H HSBC, is the Rothschilds. Um, and Standard Charter is the Baruchs, which are the two, you know, key elements of of this project. Well, they canceled putting their headquarters in uh, in in China, which leads me to believe that they don't really believe in 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 the project itself. Which is why the Chinese are are creating different projects. Which is why they're working on you know on on, on giving something up in Latin America, such as Venezuela, and you know handing it over to the United States on a platter, and 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 them receiving in return their area influence, which is Southeast Asia and the, and, and the Koreas. So again, as I said before, trade wars. It doesn't. It's not real. Okay. It, it's 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 a ploy. It's 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 part of the game on an intelligence level. It's like World Wrestling Federation. You have all these people fighting each other, but they're not really fighting. Okay. What they're doing is they're separating their areas of influence. Okay. And then another solution, and that also may uh, may work. As I said, so there's three. You have one global thermonuclear war. You have separation of interest. The Chinese, you know, uh, the energy moving to you know to to Asia, uh, and uh, um, and the Americans are uh, uh, building their uh, sixth technological advancement, which is nanobiofocogno and and uh, and cold fusion to to supplement. Uh, and they already have the patents for it. And, and Lockheed Martin has actually been working on it for the past couple of since nineteen since two thousand and fifteen. Sorry, another option, and that's where the Vatican comes in. And this will be like the last option because I know we're running out of time. Is uh, the idea of uh, um, uh, the um, 
Black International uh, getting uh, their payback for losing World War II. Black International, again, National Socialism. It's Vatican. It's a rebirth of um, the Roman Empire of Germanic nations. Okay, and we're seeing it right now. It's 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 the whole thing of of trade from Lisbon to Vladivostok. Okay, and it involves countries such as Portugal and France, Spain, Germany, uh, Italy, and the Vatican. And people are wondering what that means. It's it's Salazar, it's Franco, it's Vichy, it's, it's Hitler, it's uh, Mussolini, it's uh, Pope Pio, Pio twelfth. Okay, so again, so these are your options right now, and which is why again, Vatican is playing such an important part right now. They're right in the middle between the Chinese and, and Taiwan trying to, you know, reach their uh, diplomatic understanding. They want to be right in the middle of that. They're behind Juan uh, Guaido, uh, the, the, the uh, um, opposition, uh, the president of, of National Assembly in Venezuela, who, um, who decided to call, call himself new president of, of, of Venezuela. He's also the project of, of, of the Vatican, of the Jesuits. So again, a lot of stuff is, is uh, happening um, under the radar. It's the kind of stuff you don't see in the mainstream media or any kind of media because, again, people pay too much attention to the noise. But if you turn off the noise and you just look at the symbols, things become a lot clearer. And again, what you have to understand, in any kind of discussion you're having um, you know, on the political level, the background to it is that the model, which has worked since 1944, okay, for most of, of uh, or half of uh, the 20th century, is now dead. It can no longer work. Okay, as Karl Marx said and Adam Smith said, you reach a point where there's no such thing as infinite growth. And we're seeing it right now. And there is no matter how much you know money you print, you simply can't paper over the problem we have. We reach the limits of growth on the planet Earth. And if you could if you could give us any concluding thought and as well as what the average citizen, everyday person you know, what are the things they can do, whether it's, you know, economically or whether learning about these things, you know, how do they best uh, protect themselves, decipher, you know, analyze uh, this these politics? I think, um, I think it's important to understand that this is real, okay? Um, the U.S. elections represented a shift in power from a faction in the United States establishment committed to maintaining a global empire to a faction intent on ensuring a robust and more and more self-sufficient economy in North America. So if anything, this will, will accelerate the shift from a unipolar to a multipolar world. And the question before us is whether the United States administration can re-engineer federal budgets to a positive return on investments. If it does not succeed... We are entering a very long, harsh financial squeeze. Uh, worse, also, is that you have factions within the liberal establishment who, who want to tinker with the United States Constitution, which means that we have some, you know, serious, serious trouble ahead. Uh, we again, the uh, most important question again is if they can re-engineer the return on investment to taxpayers of government investment, credit contracts, appropriations, and regulations from a negative to a positive return. And if so, if they do that in the United States, and that, of course, will drive the rest of the economies worldwide, America will create explosive wealth. And if they don't, the country is in for a long, harsh financial squeeze, or maybe even civil war. 
perhaps even a repeat of the rape of Russia of, of the uh, 1990s period. For people, they have to understand that uh, keeping lots of uh, uh, cash makes very little sense because cash is not money. Okay, uh, buy gold, physical gold. You can buy gold coins. You can buy uh, uh, one, three, five ounce, you know, gold bars. Uh, and in the future, it's going to be obviously a much better investment than anything else you can buy. Stocks, bonds, all that stuff is going to collapse. Uh, uh, it's all it's it's all going down to hell. Stay away from that. Be liquid. You know, keep American dollars, Swiss francs. You know, some euros, some pounds. But you know, stay away from 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 any currencies that fluctuate too much. Stay away from you know keeping too much cash in the bank. Try to keep it at home as much as possible. Just enough in the bank, you know, to to do your daily or monthly transactions. Uh, stay alert, stay vigilant, and realize that we are, you know, almost at the end of the collapse financial model and cycle. Which means that you may wake up one day, very very shortly, be it in two weeks, tomorrow, in two months, or in six months. Okay, and suddenly you realize the banks are closed, the money is gone, you know, and, and, and there's a sign of those has gone fishing and then never coming back. And that's when things, you know, shit's going to hit the fan and you have to be ready. Last question. Are there any new projects uh, in the works uh, for you and how can people best uh, follow and support Daniel Estillin? Well, uh, you know, if you want to follow me, uh, the only thing I have as far as social media is Twitter. I don't have Facebook. I don't have any of that stuff. And my Twitter feed is at Estulin Daniel, E-S-T-U-L-I-N. Um, my webpage is english.danielestulin.com, english.danielestulin.com. Um, and uh, um, I, I give a lot of conferences worldwide, especially because, again, uh, as I said in the beginning of the interview, we create models that define the future of humanity. And then there's very few people out there who really understand what's going on. In fact, I didn't mention it, or I do explain it in my book. Back in 2014, I was like, what, seven or eight months before Trump even appeared on the scene at the Dartmouth Conference, which is a very important conference, which was created by the Soviets and the Americans in the early 1960s. Uh, we were explaining, it was a day off of the day after the midterm elections in 2014. We we're explaining to the American delegates that the next president is going to be or someone like Trump or someone like Bernie Sanders, so right-wing conservative or left-wing liberal. And again, it was like seven or eight months before Trump appeared on the scene, before, you know, he announced his, his candidacy. And, you know, we were dead right, because again, because the economic model is dead and liberalism is dead, uh, the elite uh, simply couldn't allow anyone from the Clinton camp to get anywhere near the White House. It was just that obvious. Okay, so when the New York Times is and, and the Newsweeks, you know, with their infamous Madam Presidency, uh, mag, you know, a magazine you know, dedicated to Clinton's presidency, you know, uh, we're talking about and singing Clinton's praise with, you know, 93% possibility of her winning the elections. How could that be when, you know, in 2014, on the, first, on the 5th of November, we knew that Trump was going to win the presidency. Okay, so these are the kinds of things we do, and these are the kinds of things. When I say we, there's a group of people working on a supranational level, you know, in 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 Russia, who are you know theoretical scientists, you know, astrophysicists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we work on these models that again explain the future of humanity, and we are very seldom wrong. And you know, I don't want to say we're never wrong, but we are very very seldom wrong because again, we can foresee what's going to happen. Which is again, I'm warning people. You know, stay vigilant, stay alert, don't pay attention to anything you read in the mainstream publications. 
And that's probably the best advice I can give them. All right. People can listen to Daniel Esselin for hours. We've run out of time. I suggest everyone go get Daniel's books. There's a lot of them. Follow him on, on Twitter. Uh, I believe you tweet uh, a lot. And it's been a pleasure. And thanks for coming on Geopolitics and Empire. It's wonderful to have. Thank you so much for your invitation.